It's the Farmer to Farmer podcast, episode nine. This is your host, Chris Blanchard. My guest today is Paul Arnold from Pleasant Valley Farm in Argyle, New York, in the upstate part of that state. Paul and his wife, Sandy, run the farm together. They've had Pleasant Valley Farm since 1988, and they've been making a full-time living on the farm since 1992. Paul and Sandy market their produce to several farmers markets in the area, and they've increased their winter marketing efforts as part of an overall strategy to keep things fun, low stress, and profitable on their farm as it moves into its 27th year of production. We talked today about the farm's history and development, the practice and practical strategies for making the farm work for your family, ways to reduce stress, and a whole lot more. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is sponsored by Vermont Compost, founded by organic crop growing professionals committed to meeting the need for high quality compost and compost-based living soil mixes for certified organic plant production. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is also sponsored by Audible. Discover the world of audiobooks and absorb yourself in the latest in business management texts, farming essays, or just a dramatic retelling of the Star Wars saga. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash farmer to farmer. Welcome to the Farmer to Farmer podcast, everybody. I am so pleased to introduce my guest today, Paul Arnold from Pleasant Valley Farm in upstate New York. Paul and his wife, Sandy, are two of the most giving and hospitable people I know, and that's saying a lot in the organic farming world. They've also got a great little operation up there in Argyle, New York. Uh, Paul, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Chris. It's really great to have you here. Um, Can you start off by telling us a little bit about how you got into farming in the first place and then, I mean, that and when you got into farming in the first place and then how your operation has grown over the years and, and what it looks like now? Yeah, I didn't uh, grow up in farming. I grew up in suburbia like most people. Uh, I got introduced to a little bit of uh, farming by visiting my great uncle's farm. It was a dairy farm, you know, now and then in the the summer. And it gave me little thoughts of it, but uh, that was not the thing I that I thought I wanted to do. And uh, by the time high school had ended, I I uh, wasn't quite sure of everything I wanted to do. But I, anyway, I ended up uh, working for a nursery greenhouse operation and found that I really enjoyed that that work. The, uh, the variability to it, the, uh, you know, the, basically it's agriculture. Uh, everything that had to be done, it was constant uh, uh, prioritizing and skill building that uh, that I went through along with learning how to be a crew leader that really set me up for uh, the final thing where I am now being in farming but long in the late late 80s uh, I was in my late late 20s and I decided that well that wasn't really what I wanted to do but I didn't know what it was and I boss encouraged me to take a trip across the United States, which I did. And as I went across the United States, I, uh, I saw farming going on and I really fell in love with that and realized, uh, uh, you know, that that's what my true calling was. And as I went out and was visiting national parks uh, across the United States, I thought about, you know, coming back and starting farming, but I didn't know quite what I wanted to farm. But when I visited a friend uh, in Michigan on the way back and he took me to a farmer's market, that's what really uh, drove it all home. I knew exactly what I was going to do, which was to um, have a farm that raised vegetables and fruits and sold at farmer's markets. And I was going to be home with my family and we were going to have meals together and all the food on the table was going to be mine. And it just really, um, I, I had tunnel vision at that point. I knew what I wanted to do. When I got back, I worked for uh, a conventional farmer, special farmer, who uh, taught me a little bit of farming that summer. And then the next summer, I worked at my father's backyard and started going to markets and raising a wide variety of vegetables on just an acre and said, well, this is going to be the trial. I don't have a lot invested. I will I will uh, play here, and if I find I really like it, then I will look for land. And I, boy, by the end of the year, I knew it. Uh, I will look for land. I started looking for land, and by the next year, I had found uh, 40 acres nearby in Argyle, where I am now. Uh, it had a stream. It had great soils. It was a uh, good proximity to markets. Uh, had great slope to it. Of uh, so from there. Uh, uh, within the next year, I had met my wife, Sandy, and 
and my dad and uh, her and I just started uh, putting up buildings and and taking care of the land and started going to markets again and just started building the farm. And by um, four years after uh, after uh, that great first start, we had uh, built a house and had my first child. Tandy and I gotten married along in there. And uh, just kept building, putting up, you know, a building here and there, and kept building, uh, buying um, tractors and equipment and things that we could afford as we went, and uh, slowly built the farm up. And but, but even at that point, I knew I didn't want a big farm. I knew I wanted a small farm, uh, but I wanted to be highly diversified to to uh, go to these markets, and and I wanted to be able to, with that diversification also, I remember my first thing was I wanted to feed my family, so putting food by and putting, you know, wide variety was also important to me. And so we've always done that, that part. But the, um, after four years, we finally started making a living at the farm, and from there we've never, from 88 until 92, as soon as we hit 92, that was the end. We never worked off the farm again. The farm made enough money, and we continued to uh, have another kid at that uh, right after that. And so we have two kids, and uh, Robert and Kim. And continue to go to markets, and then in 99, my, my dad passed away. And so the, he had done a great job of building this up and putting up buildings because he was skilled at everything. And uh, so it was really good to um, work with him and Sandy, and we really um, went from a nothing farm to quite uh, quite involved. Well, and, and now you've got a farm that's really, like you said, it's really built out, but it's really um – it's not just a it's not just a place that that sucks you dry in terms of energy. It's a place I think that that actually gives you a lot back and really helps to support you as your operation has is is maturing now in you know as as it's what would we be twenty five or thirty years old exactly. Now. So things went pretty much along the way, the same way, like going to summer markets. And, and then we slowly added November back in the late 90s. And then in 2006, we started doing winter growing, put up, um, well, now we're up to three high tunnels and put up storage for for uh, winter crops, you know, that need to be stored a certain way. And and then close the winter winter uh, station, you know, our washing station, so that that's all set up for uh, winter winter uh, washing. So we've we've come from just a um, you know a seasonal farm to a year-round farm, and that has helped us uh, financially uh, really jump ahead. So since the early 2000s, we've been uh, quite quite a you know. As I said, it's not sucking us dry. The fact that we're financially successful has helped us to uh, think about the future and help our kids get through college and um, make it uh, make it quite uh, pleasurable to uh, work this farm. You know, you talked about how your how you grew the farm and and kind of built and acquired the things that you needed as you you did that. If I remember right, when you when you started on the farm and Sandy first joined you, you guys would live in a travel trailer on the farm in the summertime and then get an apartment in town in the winter. And that seems to be really, I think, uh, typical of the way you've developed your farm operation, that, that you've done what you could do when you could afford to do it. And, and as you gained, not just, not just the expertise, but also gained the, the financial wherewithal to take each of those next steps. Yeah, we were careful about our, uh, how, how much money we were out. You know, we didn't want to take out big loans, but you realize even at those early years, we were, we had, uh, nicely had the people who owned the land, let us take out mortgages with them. So we were paying, uh, um, we had some land afterward and we were doing double mortgages through that time period. And it allowed us to expand, but at a very slow rate because we weren't willing to get uh, too far into debt with that. And, but also at the same time that you're building a farm, you're also, uh, you know, expanding on your marketing and getting better at that and getting better at uh, just growing crops and being consistent so that you had enough money to do everything. So it was a nice, uh, even growth of, uh, of the things that we needed, but also the amount of money we were bringing in. 
And uh, after after that time period of the early 90s and the, uh, the uh, 2000s, it really, after those mortgages were paid off, we uh, we started expanding at more of a rapid rate because we uh, our markets were were well well established, but also the uh, the advent of zero percent credit cards became the norm, and so we were running somewhere in the neighborhood of fifty thousand dollars a year uh, as as uh, capital improvements year in and year out, and not paying a stitch of uh, interest in all that time period. So for the past 10, 15 years, we haven't paid any interest and uh, done almost a half million dollars worth of uh, improvements. Wow. And so with those, with the the 0% credit cards, is that something that you were essentially paying, borrowing for capitalization in the spring and then, and then paying off in the fall? Or was that part of kind of rotating that through for longer periods of time until you could get the principal paid off? We were using it as basic cash flow, and so yes, if we could pay it off at a, by the end of the season, you know, then that was fine. And if not, we were just rolling it over. So those early ones had no fees to them at all, and then they that kind of went away. But the uh, it, it allowed us to cash flow better things that we knew we could make money on quickly, and then uh, and uh, it made it easier to pay back everything as we went. So it was all this creative financing and uh, watching of this business, you know, because my wife is uh, really a good business manager. And so she's the one watching and paying the bills and making sure everything is uh, written down as to when these things have to be paid off. And so that's what's really been great is that I'm the person who goes out and runs the crew and does all the day-to-day operation type stuff. And she's in the business office, you might say, keeping track of all these things that are saving us hundreds or thousands of dollars a year. I think that's something we oftentimes think of as on, on larger farms, the idea that you have a business manager, but not oftentimes in a, in an operation that's, that's your size. Uh, but it sounds like that was really important to you. I think, you know, both of, with both of us came into this farm, we had a lot of, uh, skills that we, um, because we were near 30 when we started, we had, had those skills built by uh, working for other places. And she worked at business offices uh, before she started with me, but she also had worked at other garden centers and, and done a varied amount of work. And so understood a lot of uh, construction details also. So whenever we're building buildings, you know, it's easy to talk back and forth because we both have an understanding of all that stuff. You know, my dad was a good builder and built all our houses, but he, but he also, you know, he could build a uh, a rough cut barn as well as a fine piece of furniture, you know, that uh, that we ate off of. So it's it's uh, all I said, all those skills that uh, that helped us get there, not just the welding and the and the uh, and the tractor skills, but also, like I said, the business skills and the marketing skills that we both uh, enjoyed doing. Now I'm a, uh, I think a lot of people know that I'm a really big fan of, of doing thorough record keeping and of, of making sure that you're tracking things carefully. And I remember going to a session that you and Sandy did. I think this would have been back in 1997 in Mellonville. Uh, I think it was in Mellonville, New York. Um, and, and I remember you guys talking then about the importance of record keeping. And that was something that, that at that time was pretty, pretty revolutionary and somewhat unheard of in the, in the organic vegetable farming community. How did you guys, how did you guys get started with that? And, and how has that continued to, to shape the way your farm works? The, I think that's one thing that kind of set us apart was the, uh, a little bit of record keeping that we had. I'm somewhat of a hunch person and my wife is more of a fact person. And so she saw the real, uh, saw the value in all of that uh, record keeping and was used to it and knew the importance of it. And so she was there to make sure that everybody was writing it down. Uh, how much was harvested? How much, you know, was harvested, but then go, didn't go to went to market, but then wasn't sold. And so now we come up with yield records, and then it was all the records for the 
for what was seeded, what was transplanted. So then we could come up with uh, how much space out in the field did it take up. So then we could come up with, you know, the values of each crop out there. When you're doing a large amount of crops, you know, there's little bits of a lot of different things out there. And she, you know, in the early years, we only had so much land. And with that, we had to uh, make each acre pay. And so we were very attentive to the fact that we could not grow exponentially uh, with as many acres as we wanted to grow. We actually had to make each acre pay better and better because we we were at the end of what we had. So the uh, if we were interested in getting um, uh, tomatoes to to pay better. We went from ground culture, which was giving us $30,000 an acre, to stake culture, which then jumped the value of tomatoes to $60,000 an acre. And then we also were looking at heirloom tomatoes, which then jumped the whole thing to $70,000 an acre. So we were on the same space on our acre, went from making, you know, 30, which seems pretty good, to all the way up to 70,000, which was even better. So that's the kind of things that we were thinking about uh, when we're space limited, that uh, each, each acre, each uh, square foot had to pay. And so each crop had to, you know, had to, had to pay its way. And, and I mean, right there, you, t- you talked about with the tomatoes, an example of, of changes in the your cultural practices that that led to immediate outcomes in how much money you were making. It also has always struck me how much work you guys put into what I think of as building the productive capacity of your farm. You know, it's, it's, um, I remember the pictures back, back in 97 of, of you driving on the tractor, blowing mulch into into a silage wagon that you guys would then put on the field for weed control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and how that was not only getting you the weed control, but it was also getting you the soil building. Uh, and, and that seems like something that's, that's a, an important piece of the, the Pleasant Valley farm story there that always looking at ways to build the, not just the absolute productivity of the operation, but to build your productive capacity. Yes, the soils that we uh, had inherited on this farm, you know, was 30 years of continuous corn, and with that, our organic matter was pretty low, and there was nutrients in the soil, but they just weren't available for the plants to take up, and we started realizing that that if we added the organic matter, we then could uh, could really uh, build up, uh, you know, make these plants grow that were very uh, high value, things like lettuce and spinach that were seemed to be languishing out there, even though we had good nutrients, they were not going to do well without a lot of hefty organic matter. You also realize that back in the 90s, uh, buying in compost, buying in uh, other types of organic matter was pretty um, scarce. There just wasn't uh, sources out there. This is pretty new in the, uh, in the infancy of organic growing. So we had to be relying more on ourselves and what we could produce, and that just caused more uh, information that we had to have in order to know how to go out and cut cut this uh, hayland and make sure we weren't bringing in a whole bunch more weed seeds. And and but but in the end, it made it worthwhile with that building of soil and the organic matter because we had a grave understanding that you know we were basically selling our organic matter every time we went to the market. So we had to keep keep it going. We were also, as you say, uh, thinking of two things. It was like, well, not only is it going to build soil, but it's not. It's going to cut down on our weeding, and that that also made me very. <laughs> uh, if I don't want to keep hiring more labor, and if I want to control labor as we got bigger, uh, that was also a um, a way to do that was to keep the uh, keep the weeds down. So this this. Uh, rotation of of hay was a big one on our farm to keep that soil going and also uh, keep the weeds at bay. So I was only weeding one or two acres rather than three or four. But that, uh, that we also had more time than doing just a few acres. And, and as time went along, that uh, evolved into buying some straw in uh, as square bales and then slowly also built into the fact that 
now we do it with big round bales and uh, bale chop and big um, bale choppers and uh, and uh, stabs and everything else that are a little easier. As we're getting older, these systems are needed to keep going at this when we're when we're hitting our stride here in our age group. And again, able to do that because of the because of the successes that you created early on, you know, that you've got that you it's not like you went out and bought the brand new tractor and the, the bale chopper in year one. Correct. We put up with a lot of older equipment and worked around it for a while and uh, found other ways to to uh, make this, uh, you know, build up the the cash reserves or the uh, the sales that were coming in and being seeing the consistency that we had every year in and year out because one thing we did early in our uh, in our farming careers to identify what were the risks and what were the things that were really holding us back and water was our biggest uh, we figured out because we're trying to grow high value crops and you're trying to plant something every week every two weeks. Um, that having irrigation and having water right there was our biggest uh, thing that was holding us back. And so we, uh, in, in 92, 93, we dug a pond. And then that next winter, uh, during the summer, and then the next winter, we uh, established figuring out how we're going to uh, put in an irrigation system and put, put one in that spring, summer. And it was... Uh, an exceptional thing that we did that because that also turned out to be the driest year we ever had on this farm. We only had one inch of rain from April 1st to the middle of September and it came as one thunderstorm in July. So that's all we got. But, but we had, um, we had basically unlimited water with this huge pond and the stream at the, uh, that's on the property. And we were able to, uh, do very well that year, not because other people were doing poorly, but just the fact that we also under, uh, realized that we could not quantify how much crops were, how slow crops were growing when it was really hot without rain. And when we figured out by the end of the year, our uh, gross had jumped to over $30,000 by having that irrigation system. So it basically between the pond and the irrigation system, it more than paid for itself. And then every year from then, it's, it's paid dividends. But that kind of uh, helping out with uh, the gross jumping up quite a bit and, and uh, the consistency that happened after that made everything go fast, go better for us when we knew we could have lettuce every week for the whole summer and then so people would be uh, more inclined to buy from us if they saw we always had it. And so that changed us over at the market also because, of course, this is all about marketing. The the fact that we were able to uh, be consistent and so more people came and more people bought knowing that they didn't have to go to the grocery store. Yeah, I mean, it really building that habit for people of coming to the marketplace and, uh, you know, not feeling like like they were always going to have to follow up someplace else, I think is really huge just in terms of not just in, in an individual farm success, but the success of an entire farmer's market or even the success of, a, of an entire local food system becomes really important. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is where we've, we've, we've tried to excel about is, is to uh, be consistent in our, in what we're, what our offerings are so that people are, uh, are, uh, use us as the main place to get vegetables. And then from there, whatever we don't have, they'll get it from somebody else or get it from a grocery store. Now you mentioned your, um, your, your work with, with people on the farm and saving labor with people on the farm. Uh, I know that when we've talked, sometimes I've been kind of surprised at, at some of the, what I might, I'd call it employment philosophy that you have uh, around the timing of getting labor on your farm. And then also how you, the schedule that they work with uh, every day and how that relates to your own work schedule. Well, we're usually pulling in uh, we're mostly working with in the past few years, a lot of part-time people that are, uh, around our area here. And that way we have a consistent supply of, um, what seems to be homeschool kids. That is, uh, our, our backbone, but they're also, uh, the kids that are with us the longest. Usually they run anywhere from seven to 10 years. We have them when they start them a little younger and then they're with us until they get into the college years. 
So that's very helpful of not having so much turnover, and they're kind of our core group of employees. Uh, we do train interns, and uh, we have an apartment, um, two-bedroom first apartment to keep these here, which uh, has, a, has been a, uh, a great asset for the farm to have, a great, uh, a great place for them to stay. But the that has uh, been wonderful to see these young folks go off and become great farmers and uh, and and be within that. Um, I, I guess say have more more farmers in this country. But they, uh, I've always been uh, interested in uh, watching how much we do with labor in the sense of can we buy a piece of machinery can we do a different technique you know a different system that will allow me to uh, grow the farm and also keep the same amount of employees so actually as we have grown over the years we have not really increased a lot of employees we've we've kept them uh, somewhat at the same level but uh, just gotten more work done at the same time uh, some of that uh, respect maybe that they have is the fact that you know I'm starting my day between four and five in the morning and pushing way later than they will so they always kind of know that I'm I'm working more hours than they are and even though the interns are, are working some some good hours also uh, it's something to keep up with me and do it because every day uh, I'm there but I, I love being there every day and this is what I, I love as a uh, what I do as a career and so after 25 30 years still every day it's just as exciting as the as the last 25 years has been well and you've done some I mean interesting little things with with the kinds of investments that you've made uh, you know you talk about uh, not just buying, not just buying large pieces of equipment so that you can keep your labor the same. But I remember when I was, when I was out at your farm in October, um, we, we were, we were down where you wash your totes and talking about the, how, how many totes you guys have and, and how often you actually, you get those washed. Was it, was it once every two weeks that you guys have to wash totes? Yeah, we could see that it was, um, Oh, you know, it didn't take long. And again, this is my wife, you know, figuring this out. She likes to, she likes to have facts in front of her with, with a calculator. And she, she's figuring out, you know, how much time it takes to set things up and, and wash the crates and then break everything down and stuff. But it really came down to where if you could do that setup, not quite as often, it was cheaper to own more crates and wash every two weeks than it was to wash every week and, and, you know, and not invest in more crates. So she, you know, spent the time uh, finding good deals on the crates that we have, which are the buckhorn type, and and buying in extra. So but now I only have to wash every two weeks, which is much more efficient than washing every week. And also, uh, you know, sometimes we learn this from our employees also. You know, they've worked on other farms, and this kind of came with it that, you know, we, we built an agathias circle but it's actually a square and we uh, um, I'm walking around the inside washing crates while somebody is flipping crates around and over and, and giving me new ones constantly um, you bring up crates uh, it was kind of a funny thing is a, is that uh, that was gotten to be one of the worst jobs on the farm that uh, none of the employees like to do was to wash the crates and so we had heard other farmers who would uh, invested in machinery and doing that and, and really we were figuring out whether or not this was going to work for us have this machine because they had one kind of crate and we have probably eight so finding a machine to wash all, the, all eight different ones is a little more difficult so in order to uh, get over this um, problem with employees and, and morale of washing crates I decided the best way to handle that was that I would wash the crates and so now an employee gets the better jobs and or what they will call the better jobs to me washing crates is the same as picking beans the same as weeding the same as planting harvesting it doesn't matter to me what it is uh, there isn't too many things I don't like doing so you know on our farm I took care of the morale buster by doing it myself and I'm also a little happier to do it because I'm I know that I'm cleaning the crates you know um, really well whether I'm you know, I'm not leaving it to somebody who says ag good enough 
right. know, food safety issues right. these days, it's, it's, it's really nice to make sure they are clean. It's a, I mean, it's interesting. I think a lot of people would, would tend to invest a lot of time and energy into, like you said, a crate washing machine or a crate, wa- a, a system for crate washing or checklists about how the crates are supposed to be washed. And it's kind of, it's interesting to me how you just short circuited it by just doing it yourself and setting up a system that actually made that a good use of your time. Um, yeah. I'm, I've, we've learned how to wash 400 crates in literally a couple of hours. Wow. And, and along those lines, I remember you telling me, I mean, very, very early on when we, when we were getting to know each other about how employee management is really a come on, not a go on. And, um, how you, you work alongside of your crew most of the day. It's not like you've got them set up. Uh, it's not like you say, Hey, go pick the beans. It's, it's much more of a, Hey, let's go pick the beans. Yeah, I learned that back when I was at the nursery. Uh, when I first was uh, learning how to, I say, work with employees because I never was in that situation before. And my boss made a very, uh, very easy statement. And like what you alluded to, he says it's a, it's a, it's a come on and not a go on. And it's like the, and he, the other thing he added to that is that when your men are here, you work with them, and when they go home, that's when you drive the tractor. So I make that a point of when my help is here, that's when I'm working with them and then I can get the most out of them because I'm usually the person that's setting the pace and I can answer questions right off the bat. They're not wondering, should I be doing this or is this fast enough or is this good or bad or, you know, I'm right there. And so we're just moving along as fast as we can. And with me setting the pace, it's, uh, I get that efficiency out of the uh, employees and they also feel better that, you know, I'm, uh, obviously this job is is important because I'm there you know I'm not giving them the, the brunt jobs and I'm taking only the good ones um, I'm working right lights right with them so morale can also uh, be a jump doing that but I think it's also depending on what size farm you're expecting or what kind of management style you have not everybody wants to be out there picking and harvesting and weeding with the crews. Uh, that's something that I've always, always wanted to do and still like to do, uh, to, to, um, to work right alongside the crew or, or work outside on the farm. Uh, I've not gotten to the point of where I'd rather be inside, uh, sitting at a desk and telling everybody what to do and come go out there and do it. Uh, so that's still, that's my style and, and it works well for our farm to, uh, to keep that efficiency up and, uh, and, and also makes me happier that I can see, uh, keep track of how things are harvested and I know whether or not we're having problems with anything as it's coming out of the ground. You know, it's that, that old line that, that the best fertilizer is the farmer's footsteps. And if you're actually out there doing that work day in and day out, uh, right down with your, with your hands in the hands in the plants, you know exactly what's going on all the time. Yeah, I'm I'm right there to identify if we're having any disease or insect problems. It isn't like I'm the employees are not paying attention, and I'm finally finding out three weeks later. So that 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 I can be more proactive that way too. Do you have in addition to that? I mean when you talk about working alongside the employees and, and paying attention and noticing, uh, managing as you're going, um, do you also have systems that you use on your farm for, for actually having dedicated time for observation and planning, or is that something that you're really doing as you're out there doing the work? Yeah, I'm doing it more as I'm out there doing the work. Uh, the only time we're having that observation time is when I, uh, when I do have, interns and I need to teach teach them things about the crops and I need to show them what I, they need to know what I'm looking at and why I'm looking at it and what this what I'm looking at it what it means so if they don't understand a disease then I need to explain it to them so we are going to sometimes spend time we you know doing that but if I'm just with uh, regular hourly workers I'm managing and doing things without them even noticing that I'm uh, making making decisions that okay okay, everybody ready leaves today. I got to take care of that, you know, or I got to make time for that, uh, for that spray to get on there, uh, whatever will work. And so I'm, 
so yeah, spending time with the interns, of course, is always good time spent because then uh, times they're my eyes also because they're, that's what they're there for is to learn and to uh, be observant. Paul, I'm going to break in here for a word from our sponsors. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is sponsored by Vermont Compost. Vermont Compost potting soils are a really special product. I used Vermont Compost Fort V as a blocking mix and potting soil on my farm for over 12 years, and we grew some really great transplants with it. I mean really great transplants, year after year. At a time in the organic movement when we're seeing more and more companies jumping on the bandwagon, Vermont Compost is a reminder of the art and the craft of making potting soil. They mix an incredible diversity of ingredients into the compost that forms the basis of their potting soil, incorporating many kinds of manures along with plant materials and food waste to foster structure and aeration in the compost. One thing I've always appreciated about Vermont Compost is their ability to put out a consistent product year after year. And in something that's subject to as many variables as market farming, it's nice to have something that you can count on. VermontCompost.com. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is also sponsored by Audible, where you can get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash farmer to farmer. I do this podcast, so I clearly think there's power in the spoken word, especially because of the ability to get something else done while you're absorbing the content, whether it's a book on managing employees, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, or even a romance novel. I love listening when I'm on the road, and I spent years and years of tractor time plugged into selections from Audible when I didn't always have the time to read. And it's so easy now that you probably are carrying an iDevice or an Android with you just about everywhere you go. And Audible has over 100,000 titles that you can choose from. Just go to audibletrial.com slash farmer to farmer to get your free audiobook download. You mentioned earlier, uh, two kids that who grew up on the farm and um and i i don't think you'd mind me saying that you guys homeschooled kim and robert um and and now robert's off at college now but kim's still working on the farm right yes uh robert is uh say their fourth year of college at this point and has you know the college is going to now he's off the farm and and uh, but Kim is still going to a community college nearby and spends three to four days a week at the community college. Sometimes not leaving until noon, and uh, but but is still here on the Friday, the big pick days, and uh, really you know does enjoy the farm and and some aspects of it. So she gets to kind of pick and choose what she likes to do, and she likes the greenhouse stuff. She likes the washing station and some of the harvesting. So this is the kind of things that uh, she really excels at and enjoys doing on the farm. When they were younger, there wasn't always as many choices, but as they've gotten older, and as long as they're acting responsible toward it, then they they can uh, take on parts of the farm that I'm very happy to let go. I'm not only not much of a micromanager, and so if they show, you know, that they can they can uh, take over parts of the farm and 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 not drop the ball here and there, then I let them I let them take over. Same goes for a lot of employees. You know, if I've got good interns, then they are really showing uh, promise that they really want to learn how to farm. You know, you you need to let them take over parts, and I I do keep sort of an eye there, but I don't have to uh, manage it. And as long as they're being responsible, then I'm I'm very willing to uh, let as many parts as they want to handle go. And so the kids are are uh, uh, you know as they're maturing and they're finding other things they like to do and want to do, then I'm I'm happy to let them go do that. Um, but whatever they if they want to take over something on the farm, that's fine. Uh, Robert, in the past years before he left, he really decided that he needed to learn what I knew how to do. So, because I, I know how to do plumbing and electrical and and a lot of equipment stuff, and he said, you know, I need to learn this stuff. So when we had. Uh, a uh, new high tunnel that went in, and someone had to put in all the, uh, bring the water service in, and plumb the whole thing, and all the electrical service, and set up a, a, um, a service entrance with a box and everything. You know, I, I let them do that. You know, I, I drove up and gave them some ideas of what to do, and then I run off back to my crew, and then he'd call me on the walkie-talkie, and Dad, I need a more. Uh, I got all this done. Can you show me the next thing? And yep, run up there. And so he basically did it all. And that's where, you know, he can grow as a person too and, and become more valuable as an employee someday. But uh, glad that when 
kids want to learn something, I can I can teach them. And that family involvement was something uh, when at the at the start of our conversation, you said was an important aspect of what you wanted your farm to look like when when you started that that having your family on it, having your family involved was was really key. Were there things that you did when the kids were young that helped to foster that sense of involvement on their part? I think there was always things that we, uh, not say, not say the way you say it or do it. Um, my dad uh, was not a person to give me advice without me asking for it. And I'm sure he had to keep quiet now and then, but uh, he, he did give me a, a very short uh, rendition of how to raise children. And basically his uh, little three word thing is don't ask, tell was, was his advice on how to raise children. Don't ask him, do you want to come out and work today? You know, just say, we're going out to work today. And with that, they, they knew what had to be done and they, they knew I was working hard and they knew that they, if they wanted to be near me, they, they came out and they did things and it wasn't like I was forcing them to work, but they, they, I came out and asked them if they would help here and there. And but it, it really worked out kind of nice for the fact that when employees were scarce, like sometimes in April, we wouldn't have enough, uh, they really buckled down and helped us quite a bit and they were out there for hours a week and then as soon as the employees started showing up they started kind of fading away and I let them fade away but uh, they they did it for the family and they did it because this was important for our family and so I think that fostering of uh, working together and spending time together and having a having a uh, a common uh, thing to work toward as a family was always the important uh, uh, builder of their of their character, the uh, whether it was setting the table or it was helping to pick strawberries. You know, when Kim, my daughter, was very young, she would uh, walk out to the strawberry field, and we didn't have a big one. Uh, and employees would all have trays of strawberries, and she would bring out an empty pint and walk up to the first one, and they would hand her a full one, and then take the empty. And 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 you know, and she would have to, she would have a little bit of, you know, interaction with them, and they told her what a great job she did, and then she'd run back and bring the pint back, and then go to the next one with an empty one and get a full one, and go back and forth and back and forth. And you know, she, it was that little fun interaction with talking to everybody. But I, for me. No employee ever had to get up and walk back with a full tray of strawberries. They were constantly getting. So for me, it was like, wow, this is really, <laughs> this is really good for me. <laughs> but for Kim, it was fun, and she didn't know she was really working. But you know, she got to see everybody, and everybody was telling her how great she was, and and uh, you know, just a little kid, it really built up her confidence in herself to do this kind of things. So I think, you know, it, it, it's really great to have a small farm where children can get involved in whatever they um, have abilities for. And so um, when they're really young, you know, just helping put a, put a lettuce in a tub is, is more than enough. And then when they get older, they, they're helping transplant. And pretty soon they're running the whole greenhouse. And uh, it's amazing to watch them grow up. One of the other things that I've, I found interesting as as we've communicated over the years is the the fact that you guys have really dedicated family time on a on a regular basis. It's not um, you've it seems to me that you've and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me that you've always made time to get off the farm as a family, uh, both during the season and outside of the season to actually have that time where you can really be focused on each other without, without it all being about the farm, that it really, you know, that, that, that primacy of the family rather than the primacy of the farm. Yeah. My wife has always liked to travel and she's uh, also, her family has always had a camp up in the Adirondacks about two hours from where we are. And we would take off on a Saturday afternoon and come back on a Sunday night uh, and spend a day and a half there. And yeah, it is kind of great to not always be in that, uh, might say employer employee relationship with your own kids. 
and and then spend that time with them doing other things. We would always take one to two weeks vacation every year, and we went to Florida or Maine or went to um, oh many different places up and down the coast. But it was it was seeing other family, but it was also just seeing something new and doing something different. So this would uh, between the camp and and, and uh, doing that several times, sometimes once or twice a month, and then uh, doing the uh, doing the vacations every year. Uh, you know, it, it helped the kids with getting off and doing something. They saw lots of people here. They were really not sheltered in, in any way. But I think the trips and and stuff gave them uh, a sense of adventure and ability to uh, say, spend time with us. That it wasn't always at uh, the farm, the farm, the farm. The uh, as they got older, the trips got more um, more involved, and sometimes they were uh, evolving around the uh, going to conferences because every winter we'd be uh, asked to go to conferences across the United States from all the way out to. Um, Moses Conference out in uh, Wisconsin, and we would then uh, we spent time in Door County in Wisconsin, spent a week there. So it was always a, we would um, involve not only what we, what work had to be done, but also the uh, the pleasure of of just spending time together. So it's always uh, something that we 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 knew was important. The farm was you know was obviously encompassing. And as I like to tell people, you know, that now we're running, you know, anywhere from four to eight weeks vacation a year. We, uh, when we're here, we work hard, but we get away a lot. And that's what's, uh, in the end, that's what it makes it okay to put in a 16 hour day or a 12 hour day now and then, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's knowing that you're going to get away makes it all okay. And uh, every year it's like, oh, what do you want to, where do you want to go this year, you know, or what do you want to do, you know, we've got anything from Alaska to Hawaii to all the national parks out west. We've spent time with our kids, seeing all these things. So they don't view the farm as a, uh, as a, oh man, you never get away and you never have time and you, you never have any money to go do things. We've always had that, and our kids have uh, benefited quite greatly from all this. Um, extracurricular stuff that they've gotten into. I think that's just really, I, you know, it's, it's, it's really not the, not the image that, uh, that I think a lot of us, even in the market farming community have of ourselves of, of having that, that space and that, um, that, well, I, I know in the, in the computer programming community, they, they call it slack. It's that, um, that, that extra time and space that isn't just taken up with the project that you're working on, but is room to deal with, with, uh, and not even just to deal with, but, but, to to manage the rest of your life and to manage the other things that are important and to recognize that there are things that come up uh, along the way that aren't just about getting the project done, but are also about the, the rest of your life or the rest of your organization. Yeah, um, things you're interested in, in in life. Well, and you and I were talking uh, before we, before we started the interview, Paul, about, uh, about your Saturday morning farmer's market routine and, and when you get up and, and, ha- and, and why, why you're getting up before the last possible minute to get out the door. Yeah, I'd rather get up early. I'm I'm an early riser as it is. I'm usually up between four and five in the morning, uh, but on Saturday mornings um, I'm up usually at three thirty uh, because there's I like to be able to get up and have coffee and and have a piece of toast and and relax for a little bit and look at the paperwork in front of me, things that I might have to be doing or working on. Uh, uh, that my wife, you know, she does a lot of the paperwork, but I do some of it. The uh, it allows me time for that, and then also to take up any slack that we maybe suddenly forgot the day before. That oh, one day we forgot to do all those sweet potatoes, and so I had time to get them all straightened out. But it's also managing all this stress that's coming along. That 
you know, if you had to rush, 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 rush all the time because you're getting up at the last possible minute and all of a sudden things, some things are going badly, you know, I, I've never had it yet. I've had a truck not start or run, but there's usually, uh, sometimes you open the doors and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I had to unload that, you know, before you have to start loading all the stuff you need. So there's always these little um, surprises and or um things that have to be worked on first thing in the morning and having that extra time uh, I said allows to manage the stress of the farm and so I, I keep that to a, an absolute minimum and and uh, putting in the time and, and just trying to oh, and enjoy this a little more I think this type of farming uh, especially with the markets I don't have uh, deadlines that I have to have. In other words, I don't have to have a certain amount every week. I can just come up with whatever I have and we're going to sell that this week. So that takes a lot of stress and that, uh, you know, in think, thinking about that Saturday morning where I'm getting up a little earlier, you know, my crews do come out a little later and by that time I've usually gotten a lot of past these uh, little things, glitchy things that are going to make the morning not go so right and then they help uh, finish up loading up the trucks and getting everything going. Even during the summer, you know, I'm going to get up early, start loading the trucks right off the bat, and then we've got to cut basil, we've got to pick sweet corn, we've got to do other things first thing in the morning, which then take us right up to the time that when we're leaving for market. But as I said, you know, that little extra time makes everybody's day go a little bit smoother than, you know, getting they first get up in the morning, you're like, rush, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, that's that's just not the way to to make it fun. (laughs) And, and I think you've, you've said the same thing to me in the past about, about operating equipment as well. And, and uh, even like driving to farmer's market, that having that, having all of that slack time built in means that you're never leaving late for market, which means that you're never pushing your equipment beyond, you know, you don't have to accelerate fast and stop fast. And, and it means that, that the equipment that you've got lasts longer, needs less maintenance. Yeah, and then you have less uh, emergencies, and that's way uh, way I'd rather have it. So uh, yes, when we go out there, the trucks always start the the um, the brakes last longer, so I don't have to be going to the to the uh, to get things fixed quite as often. So that just lowers uh, your stress level and and uh, lowers bills. So then everything just starts to be a little easier. So we've taken that into account for the long haul now. You know, we're heading toward 30 years of doing this. That uh, it starts to show up. You know, I've I've been around farms that have been you know near our size and their 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 amount of. maintenance is sometimes four or five times what we spend in a year, uh, which is, you know, you can tell that there's probably somebody who's pushing the equipment a little hard and, and also is the proper maintenance getting done. You know, uh, we hire somebody every winter who comes in here and just goes through all the equipment with a fine tooth comb, makes everything's perfect. And then in the summer, it's just so much easier. Uh, I know every time I'm going to go out there, something's going to start because he, he really made sure that the batteries were in good shape, you know, the belts are not going to break and just simple things like that. All the brakes are checked and, and, uh, this is simple things like that, you know, and it just makes it, um, my lost opportunity time doesn't happen too often. So that really when, yeah, when you're, when you're working, you're working and you know, when you've got a crew there, Things are happening the way they're supposed to be happening rather than everybody waiting on you to, to get the tractor started, for example. Yeah, you're always trying to do plan A as often as possible. And so when you've got good equipment, plan A happens more often, yes. And and that seems like, again, something you didn't start at that place. I mean, you didn't, you didn't start with brand new tractors. You didn't start with a sprinter van to take to farmer's market. But it's it's where you've grown, and in the arc of your farm. Now I know in the last few years, I don't know if you, I don't know if I describe it as slowing down, but it seems like you've made some some very conscious shifts as you as you move on towards thirty years here on the farm um, about about how the 
how the work is structured, how your seasons are structured, about the kinds of investments that you're making uh, at this time rather than what you were making in 1988? Yeah, the um, if you take back where we... Um, if you go back to like 2005 or 2004, before we started doing winter growing, the, um, basically we were doing close to eight acres of vegetables and selling them all from May 1st until the end of November. And, you know, it was a push to get, uh, to get 12 months of income out of seven months. And now if you look at our, um, like you say, our farm has slowed down, uh, and, and consciously, uh, we're growing five acres of vegetables now. Uh, but half of those are crops that we are planting to store for the winter growing. So now if you really look at what are we doing, how much are we growing for from May 1st to November, you're talking about uh, somewhere a little over two and a half acres. So you go from all the way from eight to two and a half, it really slows you down and uh, makes it easier. In other words, we're stretching out all the work and pushing it over to 52 weeks instead of that that way too hectic, stressful time just during the summer trying to bring it all in at once. And I think that's uh, also going to help us to, as we get older and start uh, heading into our late 50s and going into our 60s, that we... Uh, make it easier for us and uh, how we can uh, take that stress off and take that extra work that we might have to do uh, during the summer and and make it available uh, that other people could run this farm. You know, my, my, uh, my core group could run this farm during the summer and we go on vacation because now it isn't quite so hard to keep up with this place. And so this is what I'm looking at is one, I got to make it easier for me as I age. And second, I need to have it uh, simple enough for, you know, my basic crew members to run this place while I'm gone. And that's what I want to be. I want to be dispensable. (laughs) <laughs> Not very many people are in a position uh, professionally to say, I want to be dispensable. Uh, that's a, it's a great place to be. Yeah. Well, as I said, I'm not a, really a micromanager, so I'm, I'm happy if somebody, you know, said wants to take over this place and run it up for a bit. I'm, I'm pretty happy. Oh, all right. Well, Paul, I'd like to, I'd like to wrap up the interview with just a, a, a couple of final quick questions here. Um, so if you, if you had to choose one tool on your farm as your favorite tool, what would, what would that be? Uh, can we be pretty broad when we say tool? <laughs> Go right ahead. Okay. Yeah. You, you, you can define it how you want. Okay. Well, probably the best thing that I have on my farm is my wife, because between the two of us, it would be, uh, well, just me, it'd be pretty hard to run this farm. So to have her here and uh, doing the strengths and the skills that she brings to the table to help run this farm, we're quite a team. Uh, She's uh, much more of an entrepreneur manager type, and I'm a little more of a technician type. So we complement each other very well. And uh, also her insights or her abilities to uh, be, you know, seeing that sometimes uh, the best thing for our farm is to move ahead this way, Uh, you know, and then having that, because she does like having facts, you know, showing those facts and showing how we can uh, improve that way is uh, a, a great asset. So this is where, with the two of us running this farm, it's, uh, and it really makes a, a big impact on how our farm works. And I have a tendency to notice other, other couples when they have that, that same uh, intuitiveness or, or working, working together skills. That very complimentary, uh, very complimentary skill set. And, uh, yeah, and, personality. Like and so we can sit down and, and, and hash out new things that we want to do on the farm or, or what can we improve on of just what it is. Cause it's always, you know, these improvements aren't always just big, big, uh, big ticket items. Sometimes it's just little techniques that make all the difference of the world of how we're going to wash 
salad mix, you know, that we're going to move this thing this way and then move that over there. And then this is, you know, it's just sometimes just uh, not buying new things, but just the, the, uh, how the, how the techniques fall into place. That's really great. I love, I love that. I love that answer. And I, and I, uh, I can, I can, when I see the two of you together, um, I, I, I know exactly why you would why you would say that Sandy has that position in, in, in your life and on your farm. Um, so when you're and I know you're not a big computer guy, um, but when you're when you're looking for when you're looking for information, when you need when you've got a question, when you're trying to solve something that you uh, that you don't know the answer to, what's your favorite go to resource? Where do you where do you turn first besides Sandy? Yeah, I was gonna say that's usually my my thing. I'm not the uh, I'm uh, you're not gonna at least at this point I still have do not have a smartphone with me. I don't carry anything but a walkie-talkie with me. So cause that's where the default is. The fact that I'm going to when I'm coming up with some kind of information that I need uh, to walkie-talkie back to her and she can look it up. Uh, or find out, make some phone calls because I'm not much for getting on the phone either. <laughs> but the uh, don't carry a calculator with me, so I'm always, you know, looking. Sometimes I can do things in my head fast enough. And, but the observation of uh, just watching how long we're taking on doing something uh, will probably be more, more my realm. Uh, we okay. do uh, have spreadsheets that are in our washing station that I'm in charge of making sure they get uh, filled out. Um, but that's maybe coming to an end at some point because my son, Robert, who is the uh, you know, computer person and going to, uh, going to school for that, uh, is writing a program at the moment to help us to manage everything down there at the washing station and put it all on an iPad. So I might be getting more into that stuff because he's, he's he knows how to write programs and maybe oh, you gotta be for sale for somebody. Be careful when you get the, uh, get the iPad in the washing station, you know, pretty soon you're not going to be getting anything done on the farm. You'll be spending all your time on Facebook. I can see yeah. it coming now. Or looking so. things up that I wouldn't have looked up before because <laughs> my wife could do it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's my, that's and, my uh, issue of trying to stay away from it is because I, I need to just, I need to just get, uh, be there with the employees and get work done with them. And, and you've got that, and you've got that other person who can, who can reach out and get that information from other, from other resources. Right. Again, that, that complimentary thing that I think is so important to your, mm-hmm. to your farm. Mm-hmm. So, um, one, one last question then, if you could go back in time and tell your beginning farmer self one thing, what would it be? Oh. Huh. Uh... I don't know if I have any real great parting shots on that one. Uh, I know it was what seemed like, uh, seemed like time has gone by so fast in uh, where we started from and the information that basically wasn't there when we started and is now there uh, is, uh, seems like almost like a little, you know, blink of an eye and we're, and we're where we're at. Uh, I was glad that we had uh, put money away for for retirement. I'm glad we did all that uh, uh, going on vacations and getting away, and I'm glad that we uh, put the effort into what we did. Uh, I, I, tell, I try to tell folks, you know, when you're first starting out, you really need to keep your nose to the grindstone and just work as hard as you can and get as you know get ahead as fast as you can so that you can start to move faster and faster toward uh, uh, a little more financial stability. And so I'm glad I put in that time uh, that I did when I was younger because as I'm the age I am now, I can't put I can't do that anymore. So no real magic, but it is just a a bunch of hard work and 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 uh, seeing you know the future that it that it will turn out really great if you uh, if, if if especially if you agree with your partner on what is the vision. It's very important. It's really important. 
Paul, thank you so much. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I'm really uh, just so grateful uh, to you for making the time to, to sit down with me on a, on a Sunday night and, uh, and talk about Pleasant Valley Farm and talk about your life and your family. So uh, like I said at the beginning, you and, you and Sandy are two of the most giving and, uh, and hospitable people that I know. And I think uh, when I look at folks that have had an influence on uh, not only on my farm, but on, on hundreds, if not thousands of other farms around the country, I think you're, you're one of those people, I think, that have really uh, provided some, some really good guidance to a lot of people. And so thank you for all of that. Well, it's all our pleasure. That's the, that's the fun part of this whole, this whole thing is, is seeing all the great people that have, have uh, we've made, made a difference for. So thank you, Chris. If it's not obvious from the show already, I think Paul and Sandy are two great farmers and they really embody the generous, giving, caring spirit of organic farming. Whether that's sharing their knowledge with, with a wide group of people, making their their lives available and their service available to members of their farming community, or just, you know, even things like Paul saying that that the the tool that he values the most on his farm is his wife and his farming partner, Sandy. That just, oh, it gives me chills. So wrapping things up here, you can find links from the show and more at farmertofarmerpodcast.com. Just search for Arnold and this episode page will show up. Okay? If you're not already listening to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice, I encourage you to subscribe so that you get new episodes just as soon as they are released. And please take the time to leave a rating or review. It really does make a difference in how many people this show reaches. You can also leave comments for us on the show notes page of each episode. I'd love to know what you think. And here's a shout out to users KSAWV, Hano Bono, and Clem Swift for leaving comments on the iTunes on our iTunes page in the last week. Thank you so much. If you like what you hear, think about signing up for my newsletter, The Flying Rutabaga, at farmertofarmerpodcast.com or my other website, purplepitchfork.com. And one more thing, if you've hung on this long, I'd like to know what questions you, my listeners, have that my guests or I might be able to answer in the podcast. Please let me know on Facebook at Purple Pitchfork or use the contact page on farmertofarmerpodcast.com. Anything about farming and farm life is fair game. And if you want to be anonymous, just let me know and I won't mention your name on air. If we choose your question to use on the air, I'll even send you a Farmer to Farmer podcast mug. Okay. Now, all right, let's see. How do I turn this thing off? Oh, uh, nope, nope, there it is. 